Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Because it's such a rare thing, you've got a 1 in 250 million chance of getting the thing that I had. Wow. So, yeah, they, they only do 12 operations a year in the UK. So it's, it's really, really rare. You know, they, they, they tell you things like, You'll probably survive, but you might not be able to walk, talk, sit, stand, eat, drink, and you'll almost definitely never teach again. So my thinking was, well, I've got this big date coming up the 16th of July, and either God's going to snuff me out, or he's going to prepare me for something else. And if he doesn't choose to snuff me out, then I should probably make sure I'm in the right place before I go into this thing. And I would say that's probably been the story of my life. It's always been a bit of a battle between me and God and, you know, what I want to do and what he wants me to do. But it was at that point that I I did kind of think, right, no, you need to get serious about this. And I, I would probably say quite honestly that I was 23 before I started taking my faith in any way seriously. Welcome to Testimony, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. I'm very pleased mm-hmm. tonight to have Amy Watt, who's going to share her testimony with us. So Amy, start us off. Tell me a little bit about your early years and your, your home life. Well, first of all, Dan, thank you so much for having me. This is the first time I've done anything like this. I hope it's enjoyable. In terms of my family life, I, I guess, had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. My mum and dad would have taken me to church from a very early age. I don't have very many hugely early memories. My my biological mum killed in a car crash when I was three years old. And my dad remarried when I was five. And I've got two brothers and two sisters as a result of that, which is great. I guess they've, I don't know if it was maybe just back at the time. It wasn't really something that you talked about. You just kind of got up and got on with it. And it never really struck me as being strange or unusual or, or something to talk about ever, really until I started my job kind of work with children who have been traumatized and things and you can see the impact there I guess I had that that kind of privilege of growing up in a Christian home going to church it's one thing I've always kind of struggled with I've listened to your other episodes and you can hear people very clearly talking about a time when they know they got saved that's something I've always kind of struggled with um, I know that my dad has a vivid memory of me accepting Jesus as my savior I know that whenever I was a uh, 16 I heard very clearly that I was to be baptised, which obviously we believe happens after you're saved. But through my whole life, I've always struggled with that, not fully knowing and not fully sort of getting, am I, am I actually saved? That kind of trusting of, I don't remember when it was, so is it actually, did it actually happen? Um, and again, that would be something that I would never have talked about ever until recently. And I think that comes a lot from what I have been through and a lot of the kind of journey that I've been on uh, with my health. Um, and all those kind of things so I guess my early memories would just have been my earliest memories just me and my dad had really good family friends who after me they've now moved back to to Ireland Um, really good support from the church and the people in the church 
looking after me. And then I guess my earliest memory probably is the day that my mum and dad got married and then all my brothers and sisters after that. And nothing else about my life's really been all that different. So, yeah, that's kind of my early life, my story. I think it'd be nice to kind of a glimpse behind the curtain is that when I asked you to share your testimony, one of the things you said was, well, I don't know if I'm the sort of person you want to interview because I've had so many doubts, you know, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but I've had lots of doubts, daily doubts, weekly doubts about my Christian walk. And and I read that I was at work and I read that and I thought, that's exactly (laughs) the sort of person I want to interview. I think the problem is we so often give an impression that we're all okay that we're Mm -hmm. Christians, that we're walking with the Lord, that life is easy as a Christian, where the reality is so many of us have those doubts. Mm -hmm. You know, I often, you know, speak to people and say that, humanly speaking, I've been saved thousands of times. Because if it was based on how many times I had to ask for it, because I felt that I'd failed, because I felt that I'd sinned, I would be saved daily. But we're Mm -hmm. thankful that we know that we're saved the moment we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. He's the one that saved us based upon him and his work. So we we know deep down that we're saved once, but it's that, Mm -hmm. oh, I failed. I need to repent. I need to be saved. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Christian because I've lived like that. So your testimony is probably similar to many, many Christians out there. So I'm quite pleased you were prepared to come on and say, I've had doubts because we've all had doubts. Yeah, and I would say that one of the reasons that I wanted to do this, and this is really far out with my comfort zone, was because I wish there was somebody who would have said that for me. And like you said, like I joke sometimes, but I get saved multiple times daily. Now, I know that you only get saved once. But sometimes it's just that we check just to make sure. And I actually, I do believe that that's something that God kind of uses in my life because I can be so inclined when things are going well just to go off and do my own thing. So it's almost like he gives me that little wake up call. And if I'm being perfectly honest, a lot of it comes from, you know, if I come home and I live with my lovely flatmate, Mary, if I can't find her, I think, oh, has Jesus come and I've been left behind? So then, and I know that's not going to happen, but it's always a thought that's there. And but my first reaction then is to pray. So it's obviously something that's kind of there just to keep me on my toes and remind me that, no, you you don't really have this. This, this, is, this is bigger than you. <laughs> Please remember that. I think that's something we all experience, that need to just be sure. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just in case those 11,000 times when I asked the Lord to mm-hmm. save us wasn't enough. Just one more yeah. time. Yep. Yep. Just just in case for some reason but I didn't do it right. Let's just try it this way, just in case. <laughs> and I was like, I know I, I do make a bit of a joke about it. It's not actually a funny thing, but it is it, I think it's a very real thing for people. Um I think particularly with the kind of sort of the church background that I've grown up in, there's very much emphasis on, you know, you need to know where and when and how you got saved and if you don't know that we should really be questioning your salvation and that for me is always that's actually hurtful whenever I hear that because I think I can't point to a time and a place but I know I have and I think it probably comes from being so young and I think you know as we go on I think you'll see that God very much has worked in my life and for me that evidence rather than having an exact date and time and place and and those kind of things it makes it real for me. So if you can't put a day and time on the moment you were saved, mm-hmm. you definitely can when it comes to your baptism. I so can. what was the thinking behind wanting to be baptised? How did that come about? So I remember, well, do you know, see, just thinking about it there just now, it's just come to be that, that that kind of time in my life, that that early first sort of five years of my life was very traumatic 
um, period of time in that I did lose my mum. And I've got no recollection of that. And knowing what I know now about trauma, I believe that my brain has shut that bit off and it doesn't let me access that. And it was in that period of time that I got saved. And that's possibly just something that's kind of been lost in there. And I went through life just kind of, you know, you go to church. If I'm being honest, I found church a bit of an inconvenience. It really got in the way of my football and my skateboarding and my bike riding. It wasn't really very real to me at all. Whenever I went to primary school, I'm a PE teacher, by the way, so sport's my thing. And I would have been quite good at football and you would have been playing the games. But then you couldn't join the team because you couldn't play on the Sunday. So that just drove me insane. So Do you know what I mean? And it just appeared like, why is this such an inconvenience to me? And don't get me wrong, you know, that I met lovely people through church, but it wasn't very real. But I remember getting to kind of high school age, which for us is 12, 13 up here in Scotland, and being at a couple of baptisms of people who were my age. And before that, you know, everybody loves a baptism, don't they? Everybody loves going along. Everybody's happy. And I liked it, but I never really felt anything um, about it. And I remember going to a baptism whenever I was in second year at high school. So I would have been 14. And it was somebody that was younger than me. And if all of a sudden struck me that, right, okay, this is something you actually have to do. And I remember the the preacher on the platform uh, standing up there and saying, I know that there's somebody here tonight who knows that they should be baptized and they aren't. And this is God's message to you. And I remember sitting looking around this room that must have had about 100 people in it and thinking, maybe it's somebody else. (laughs) Because that definitely can't be me. Um, but then I remember getting, I think I was 16 and I remember just one night and it was so overwhelming. I just couldn't go for another minute without getting baptized. And I told my dad and then you know, great, great delight, um, in, in the household, as you, as you can imagine. But it was that, that's what I kind of hold on to is that God would never ask me put that much on my heart to be baptized if I wasn't safe. So that, that's, that's kind of what I hold on to um, with that. You baptized you become mm-hmm. a member of the church, mm-hmm. you go into education, become a PE teacher. Mm-hmm. Now, your life is going to take a dramatic change. I'm not sure myself at what point that's going to be. So maybe you can tell the chronology of your story. I don't want to guess sure. when it comes about. <laughs> so I'm 31 now. So it's all kind of started about 10 years ago. So when I was at school, I had the great blessing of being academic, um, did really well in exams, but had no desire to do anything that you're supposed to do when you get good grades. I didn't want to be a doctor, I didn't want to be a lawyer. And my school forced me to go to university. So I went and did the simplest degree I could in the closest university to home, so I didn't have to leave home. And I got a sports science degree. And Sorry for all the sports scientists out there. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, easiest, it, was, it was the easiest degree I could find close to home. So that's what I went for. I worked four hours a week while I was doing that, and that was my focus, was working. And I came out at the end of it, and I thought, right, I've got to do something with this. So in Scotland, we have the great privilege of free education at university level. So I applied to two things. I applied to PE teaching and I applied to physiotherapy. And I got accepted to both. And PE teaching was free. So I went and did that, (laughs) having promised never to be a teacher because my dad was a teacher and it was just the worst possible thing. And while I was doing my university course, postgrad course, something went wrong with my phone and my headphones and everything. I couldn't hear it in my left ear. And I must have gone to the phone shop about eight times, like, your phone's just not working. 
but no, it was something with my ear. So I thought, this is very strange. I'm, what, 21, 22 years old, and I can't hear out my left ear. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, have you had a cold, any kind of trauma, any of those kind of things? And I said, no. So they gave me a decongestant, hay fever, medication, all sorts. I must have gone to the doctor six or seven times. Now, keep in mind that I hadn't been to the doctor since my primary one checkup. You would think they might take it seriously, but no. And we had a lovely doctor in the village, but he was a wee bit old. Um, I think he was a bit stuck in his ways. So I decided, right, he must have a day off. So he had a day off on a Tuesday afternoon. So I made an appointment then. I went along to a locum doctor and I went in and she listened and she said, right, I think you need to go for a scan. So I went for an MRI scan and these things take ages. Um, and I got called into the, the hospital in Livingston and the guy brought me in and he said, right, I just want to tell you that we've found something in your scan we're not 100% sure what it is but we think we can kind of tell you what it is you've got a brain tumor so immediately you hear the word brain tumor and you think oh my word that's the worst possible thing ever but actually at that point in time it didn't even register with me the biggest concern for me was the fact that on the way my hair dryer had blown up um, and at that point in time all I could think was I need to go and get a new hair dryer and it was completely irrational and I remember coming out of the appointment and going home and my mum being like right what happened I was like, oh, yeah, it was fine. Really nice man. Oh, by the way, I've got a brain tumour. And she kind of looked at me and went, what? Yeah, got a brain tumour, my mum. She said, right, okay. So I had what is called an acoustic neuroma um, or a vestibular schwannoma, um, which is a tumour on the auditory nerve um, just inside your your ear. Um, It's not a cancerous tumour. It's a benign tumour. But really, when it's in your brain, doesn't make a massive amount of difference and it does an awful lot of damage um, in there so I then went down the road of kind of doctor's appointments and things and this thing's so rare that there's only one surgeon in the UK that can apparently operate on these and he only works in the UK on a Tuesday (laughs) he's He's not filling in for that old doctor is he no, he's not. The old guy's gone now. He retired quite quickly after my story. So I met this guy and he said, well, there's, there's, there's two things we can, well, so three things we can do. So we could leave it and see what happens because aside from losing my hearing, it wasn't causing me any great problems. Um, he said we can treat it with radiotherapy. Um, but because I was 22 years old, they don't know about the long-term effects of that. So you can have surgery to remove it. So at a point in time, I thought, right, well, it's just my hearing. It's not that big of a deal. I'll just leave it and see what happens. So I went back to, to uni. I finished uni. I did my teaching placements. And as I got into my last teaching placement, I thought, no, something's not quite right here. So I started to lose control of the left-hand side of my face. So it would just kind of droop. Um, I got a terrible eye twitch. I would lose control of kind of my, my left hand as well at times. My balance was horrendous, very nauseous. And I got to the point where I was like, no, I I think something needs to happen here. So we went back to the surgeon and he said, right, well, I've got this day three, which was in six weeks or something. I'll do your surgery then. Um, So that was my kind of timeline. And it was about two years um, it took from diagnosis to actual surgery. And looking back now, I know it's a big deal. I, I do joke about it. Okay, so I'm more than happy with any jokes you want to throw my way about it. Um, 
I think it was probably a bigger deal for my family than it was for me. I had it. I was living with it. I just needed to deal with it, but it was a bigger deal for them. Yeah. I think at the time. So what I was wondering was, you're 22, 23 years old. Mm -hmm. You're about to have an operation, a major Mm -hmm. operation. What exactly is it that you felt going into that as far as from a girl that age, but also how was your faith affected by these events? So I think at that point in time, I'd been living a very kind of superficial faith, very kind of Sunday only Christian type of faith. You know, I'll, I'll do what I'm meant to do and then I'll just go back to my life and doing the things that I enjoy doing. At that point in time, I think my first reaction was anger. So I don't know how I feel about does God punish people? I don't think he does in that way, but I do think he sends big wake up calls. And in my life, basically every time I've ever sort of heard or felt God speaking to me has been through some massive thing, Um, probably because I'm a little bit ADHD and probably doing 10 million other things. It has to be like, no, listen. So initially there was anger because at that point in time, because it's such a rare thing, you've got a one in 250 million chance of getting the thing that I had. So yeah, they they only do 12 operations a year in the UK. So it's, it's really, really rare. And they tell you things like, You'll probably survive, but you might not be able to walk, talk, sit, stand, eat, drink, and you'll almost definitely never teach again. So initially it was anger. It was like, why have I come through all of this to just be? And then I went through kind of probably like a destructive phase where I just kind of turned my back on everything and went, nah, if that's what you're going to do to me, I want nothing to do with it. And then eventually I got to a point where I think I hit rock bottom. There was nowhere else to go. My mum and dad couldn't help me. My brothers and sisters couldn't help me. My friends couldn't help me. I was going in for brain surgery that could drastically change my life. I should probably just double check again <laughs> that if God's there and God loves me, then that I'm, I'm on the right page. So I should probably need to give up on this anger. And at that point in time, I think the thing I found very difficult was, uh, and actually I think Cherie mentioned this in your podcast with them, was people telling you they were going to pray for you or people giving you Bible verses or people telling you, you know, don't worry, God's got this and it'll all happen in his will. I don't want to hear that. I'm sorry. I I, I don't want to hear that right now. Right now, what you're saying is of no importance to me. And I feel bad now because I know people were just trying to be kind and they were just trying to do the right thing. But, you know, I I stopped going to church because I couldn't deal with people looking at me. Um, I didn't want people to know which actually was terrible thinking of what my mum and dad must have gone through not being able to talk about it but I don't want the sympathy and then I just got to a point where I was like no do you know what if I want to get through this there's only one way I'm getting through this and this is very clearly what God's saying to me is you need to start listening to me and you need to start hearing what I'm saying to you and there's um a verse in the Bible in James that inspired the Casting Crown song. I don't know if you know Casting Crowns. It says, I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapour in the wind. So it was kind of that verse that at that point in time kind of spoke to me was, you know, what is your life? It is but a vapour. So my thinking was, well, I've got this big date coming up the 16th of July and either God's going to snuff me out or he's going to prepare me for something else. 
And if he doesn't choose to snuff me out, then I should probably make sure I'm in the right place before I go into this thing. And I would say that's probably been the story of my life. It's always been a bit of a battle between me and God and, you know, what I want to do and what he wants me to do. But it was at that point that I, I did kind of think, right, no, you need to get serious about this. And I, I would probably say quite honestly that I was 23 before I started taking my faith in any way seriously, purely because I had nowhere else to go. I think it's fair to say that for most young Christians, they're not put to the same test as that. That's the extreme end <laughs> of, of testing. Yeah. Did you ever did you ever question why me? Why me never crossed my mind because at that point in time, I, I think my, my thinking was, well, why not me? And at, at the sort of the angry part of where I was looking at it as some sort of punishment from God, I'm like, well, do you know what? You probably deserve this because <laughs> God told you not to do X, Y, and Z, and you did it anyway, so you probably deserve it. And then whenever I got to the part of actually kind of trusting God to get me through it, at that point in time, it was like, well, this is God's plan for me, so there's going to be some reason for this. So no, I've never thought, why me? But that's me as a person. Why not me? Just to interject in your story a little bit, you were saying it's not always great to say, praying for you, you're in God's no. hands, you know, the Lord's with you. What advice would you give for people who want to reach out and help people who are going through difficult times and maybe move away from the cliched response, which is genuine and people do earnestly pray and want to pray, but what, what would you have preferred to have heard or how would you have preferred people would behave towards you? One of the most helpful things that ever happened when I was going through all of that was one of the, the girls in my church. She never, ever did the whole in praying for you thing. She never quoted verses. She just said, look, I've got a pizza. Do you want to come over? And I went over and we had a pizza night and we watched TV. And I think it was like Strictly Come Dancing or something like that. And we just had a nice night and it was normal. And in the whole time, we both knew, but we didn't talk about it. I don't know if that's just me because I'm a person that kind of keeps all my emotions inside. I don't want to show emotion. I don't want to talk about my emotions or feelings. But I would say that probably the best thing to do is just be there and find out what the person wants and treat them like they're normal. Because at the end of the day, I've always been me. I've always been Amy Watt. I've always loved the things that I've loved. And that didn't change. I know people were praying for me. I know they were probably praying for my whole family. But knowing that was enough, I didn't need to hear it. I just needed you to treat me like I was normal because either I was going to come out the other side and you were going to have to deal with me or <laughs> I was going to die and I didn't want to die with people being weird about it. Um, so I would say just treat the person like they're normal and just do something with them. You know, just do something, get a pizza, go for a walk, go shopping. It's almost like kind of distract them. Yeah, I mean, you can never distract somebody from that. It's it's always there. It's it's always there. It's always in your mind. But it's just treating you like you're not different. You feel different enough as it is because you feel so isolated. You feel like you're the only person with that particular problem. The other thing never ever to do is to try and empathize. So unless you have lived my life and had my actual medical problem, I don't want to hear about your medical story. And it's not because I don't care. It's because it's of no help to me at that point in time. I don't know if that's everybody's story. Some people like to gather all the facts and information, but I avoided Google. I avoided any of that kind of stuff. So I don't want to hear about your story. And the chances of meeting much. someone else who's one in 250 millionth. Yep. Quite well, actually, 
quite slim, but when I was in hospital, there was a guy in the room across from me who had exactly the same <laughs> thing. And that's the only other person I've ever met. Yep. <laughs> a complete fluke. And I am, um, there's a, there's an actor as well. Mark Wahlberg or somebody like that. Okay. I think had the, the same thing. I can't remember if it was him, but somebody like that had the same thing. But yeah, the chances of meeting them are so, so slim that you know they can't really empathize. So if we put a poll up saying, what does Amy Watt and Mark Wahlberg have in common? <laughs> <laughs> and see how many guesses it takes for people to guess that. Yeah. Quite Yep. Yeah. I'll find out who it was though, I'll let you know. Um but there was there was definitely an actor of some kind um that had it. <laughs> which was cool. So talk me through the operation itself. Obviously you, you wouldn't have been awake for it. That sort of thing is no. probably not just local <laughs> anesthetic. No. What was the kind of outcome of all that and the recovery moving on from it? My surgery was my one minute of, well, my nine years actually of fame. So because it's so rare, it was really popular for all the like the students to go on and watch and there were medical journals written and it's all videoed. I think you can probably see it actually if you're a student at Edinburgh University. I think it's on um, Netflix, isn't it? It, it? it could be, maybe the next Netflix series. <laughs> um, I mean, it'd be fascinating. I'd watch it. Um, but basically there's kind of two parts to it so there's the part where they have to go from the outside of your head in and then there's the part where they have to remove the tumor so i had an ear nose and throat surgeon and then i had the actual uh, neurosurgeon my memory of it as you say is is nothing i remember going to the hospital in the morning i remember going into the, the operating theater or the wee bit next to it. i remember the anesthetic cannula going in my hand the mask going on my face and i don't remember anything else but it was nine hours by the end, like the actual operation time. But I think when, when they got me in, they realised we didn't have a particular part. So that delayed it by a couple of hours. So my poor mum and dad were sitting at home pacing the pacing the floor, no doubt. Um, so I went in for my surgery about one o'clock in the afternoon and I woke up at half 11 at night in the highest high dependency in uh, the Western General in Edinburgh. It was actually a really strange thing because I think... The thing I remember distinctly is when I went in, I wasn't sick. So I wasn't in pain. I wasn't weak. I wasn't, I, I was myself. I could still, I do a bit of running. I could still run, no problem. And when I woke up, it was like I'd been run over by a bus 18 times and sat on by an elephant. It was just horrendous. Like, so a little bit oh, of pain. Uh, it wasn't sore. There was no pain. All right. No pain at all, which is weird. But they, they had... Um, when they remove that, obviously, they have to fill it in from somewhere. So they, they'd taken some fatty tissue from in my side. At that point in time, I was remarkably skinny, so they couldn't get very much. So that was so sore. So they're going on asking about the pain in my head and whatever. And all I could worry about was the fact that my side was so sore. And that was quite strange. And then I think they, they asked you all the questions, you know, where you are and who you are and whatever. And I was obviously high on something because this was apparently hilarious. The nausea, the double vision the dizziness, all that kind of stuff, just horrendous. And on that first night, I was the sickest person in that hospital. And by the next morning, I was the only person on that ward that had any chance of recovery. So that's the kind of people that you're you're in with. So the surgery was for the nine hours. And then the next day, I was moved to a ward. Horrible, horrible experience with double vision, nausea and dizziness, moving on one of those field beds. Not nice. Um, moved into a ward and I was in hospital for a week. So they'd said I'd be in hospital for three weeks. I hated it, so I wasn't for staying. Um, they told me that 
I couldn't get out until I could walk up and down the stairs. So on the second day after my surgery, I made my dad get me out of my bed and take me to the staircase and get me to walk up and down the stairs. I had to be able to do 13 stairs because that's the number in my mum and dad's house. And then I had a big problem with my eating. So I didn't eat, didn't drink. And there was a bit of a standoff with that, <laughs> me and the nurses. And then eventually after a week, they just kind of said, well, do you know what? You're not going to do it here. Go home. And that was probably, that was actually really scary going home uh, because I was still on numerous medications. Still had serious nausea, vomiting. And the great bit about that is that's never gone away. So... <laughs> That was a week in hospital and then I got home and after that my kind of competitive side kicked in and my one of my friends was getting married um, at the end of the September so about six weeks after and I was a bridesmaid and they'd made arrangements that you know my wheelchair could be there and I could be rolled down that aisle and there was no danger that that was happening. I was walking down that aisle and I was doing it in heels on the grass so I did <laughs> because that's who I am and then after that everything just kind of turned around a wee bit because I think it, I had so little hope of actually having a life after that and almost thinking right I'm, I'm going to live at home forever my mum's going to have to feed me and do all these kind of things and it just didn't happen like that I think I had the best possible outcome so I was at my friend's wedding then at the end of September and I taught my first day back in a school in the December and they told me I'd never teach again. So that's obviously your competitive spirit. <laughs> oh, that's coming through. Shining through. <laughs> yeah. You weren't going to be yeah. put down by the medical department. No way, no way. And I, I think the thing is that because it's such a rare thing, there's so little on it. So some people, like it totally ruins their lives. They're never, ever the same again. But for me, it was that it was that whole thing of God didn't snuff me out. So there's some sort of reason why I'm here. And it's not to lie in my bed and it's not to have other people look after me. It's to go out there and actually do something. And so my dad's a teacher, head teacher, so he employed me for a, a few weeks. So that was quite a nice wee uh, break back into it. And yeah, that's kind of been the journey. It still does have an impact today. Definitely still has an impact today. So I've basically got ADHD as a result of them digging about in my head. So the focus, concentration, any of that kind of stuff not there non-existent but it makes me really good at my job because I work with those kind of kids <laughs> so I know what they're thinking I know what they're doing um I get crippling migraines I'll have a headache on a daily basis and every few weeks a, a couple of days in bed nausea dizziness and I can't do handstands anymore you can't win them all but I, I wasn't very good at them anyway <laughs> so now I have a medical reason to get out I've got a note from my mum <laughs> <laughs> so as far as your faith is concerned, you mentioned that this was kind of a real turning point. How has your faith been changed? So but this is probably the part that I was most worried about because I really don't want to offend anybody, but I don't think I will. I'm going to try not to. And if I do say anything too controversial, please just cut it out. But I think for me, growing up, you know, I, I only have experience of one church because I've always lived in the same area. Um, I would have gone around other places, obviously. Um but after that, after my surgery, after my recovery, my perception of what was important became totally changed. Um, and I, I looked at everything, but we're talking about faith, and I, I looked at kind of church and what church stands for. And I kind of started questioning a lot of it. Why do we do these things? And things that for me are doctrinal 
absolutely, we have to have those in place. But things that are just ritual or tradition, I've got no time for that. So I think after that, my, my, my personal faith strengthened. So it, it's a bit of a combination of the fact that I, I want to be closer to God and also feeling like, well, <laughs> you kept me alive, so I maybe kind of owe you something. It kind of keeps me in that, that you know, reading my Bible. Um, I'm not good at praying. I should be a lot better at praying. I'm really glad God hears everything that we say because I am not a long-winded prayer my perspective on church sort of changed and I, I, I look at it, I, I still look at it, I'm still in the same church. That's my, my personal decision and um, I know there are other places I could go to but I look at it I go there's so much of this that's just tradition and there's so much of this that's just ritual and there's so much of this that to the outside world must be really, really confusing and there's so many kind of deep-seated, long-held beliefs within Christian people that are actually really judgmental and for me, if you can find me a bit in the Bible that says I should do or shouldn't do something, that's fine. But if you can't, then don't bother with it. Because for me, the Bible's really straightforward. Jesus came into the world to show us how we should live. We can never be Jesus because we can't be perfect. But he told us to do two things. And he told us to love God and he told us to love other people. Mm. And every single thing that we do as people should fit into one of those brackets. So if we're doing something that doesn't show that we love God, we shouldn't be doing it. And if we're doing something that judges people or makes people feel small or insignificant or like they're not important or like they can't be part of something, then we shouldn't be doing it. At that point, I think I was a bit... Before my surgery, I thought there'd been a bit of judgment there about my job. So you're a female PE teacher. That's got some connotations to it. Um, sport's not important. It's not a real job. And after that, I just thought, no, do you know what? Because this is what God gave me the skill to do. And he's put me in a school reaching kids that will never hear the gospel. And I can't preach the gospel. I can't speak to these children and say what my personal belief is on their situation. And I deal with children who are in situations that would be completely against what I maybe believe in. But what you can do is you can show them that you love them. And you might be the only person that ever shows them that you love them. And for me, that job is my mission field. And those children are the people that God has put in my life um, to work with. My faith is a big part of that because I have to sort of tread this fine line between being too radical, but also working out what it is actually that I, I, I do believe, what is actually right. So in that respect, I guess that the whole surgery thing maybe question a lot of things that I would have done. Um, and it's been tough, like, you get some serious kickback whenever you try and question the system. But it's made it much more real to me. It doesn't feel, like I mentioned earlier, that for the first sort of seven, eight, nine years of my life, I felt it really confining. It doesn't confine me. There's nowhere in the Bible that says I can't do sport. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that I can't do it on a Sunday. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that I can't wear this or go there or be friends with that person. There's, there's nothing that says that. So actually, all of a sudden, it's become a lot more clear. Um, but I do still doubt my salvation, and I do still get saved on a daily basis. That's not changed. <laughs> as far as your recovery is concerned, you're now clear of any tumours or anything like that. And As far as I know. As far as you know, and you're back to playing sport and teaching. There's no, other than the, the, the things you've mentioned, there's no side effects or problems. 
no so there are, there's some things I can't do um so but there's things that I wouldn't really have done anyway so I can't skydive and I can't dive and a deep sea dive um I can't play contact sports yeah. um so I would have played quite a lot of hockey um, I can't play that anymore um purely for the fear of head trauma and I can't yeah, I can't do things like rugby or even football can be a little bit dodgy at times. But I do a lot of running. So that was what I kind of took up after I took up running before and after my surgery. It fits in better with my life. Anyway, there's no effect there. I teach, kind of gone away from the PE teaching now into the pastoral side of things, which is a challenge, but a new challenge. So I can take on new things. I'm very careful with things like doing too much. I'm really structured in my bedtime <laughs> um, and getting the right amount of sleep. Definitely things with food, so certain foods can upset my head, give me a headache, things like that. Apart from having zero attention span, nothing really has changed, and it's it's actually a real blessing. And as far as I know, I'm tumour-free. There's a high chance of recurrence, so we might have to do it all again, and I'm totally deaf in my left ear. All right, okay. But apart from that, totally deaf. Throughout the whole experience, was there a Bible verse or passage that was particularly significant to you? So my, my definite one has been the one in James chapter four with what is your life that is but a vapor. And I think the one that's always kind of, it's always been there is basically the whole of the book of Joshua, you know, be strong and courageous, um, be not afraid or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And sometimes you have to hold on to that a little bit tighter <laughs> than others. Sometimes I don't believe it, um, but it's there and it's repeated over and over and over again in, in that book. And there's the, the verse in Philippians about I can do all things. That was kind of my mantra throughout my whole recovery. Is I can do all things. I can walk down the stairs. I can walk around the block. I can run. I can teach. I can. And I guess those are probably the, the kind of the key verses in my, my story. Thank you very much for sharing your story. It's very interesting. Uh, I hope you found it helpful to talk through. You've said you've never really explained no. these things before. And so um, I thank you for sharing them on Testimony Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That's all right. Thank you for listening to Testimony. If you have any suggestions as to who would make a good interview, then please get in touch at testimonypodcast at outlook.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.